0: Really, I think when COVID hit and the world turned upside down, we just kind of went, hey, you know what, Let, let's just give it a go. Honestly, I kind of thought we would see business really go downhill once COVID hit when people, you know, were kind of wrestling with jobs and employment stuff and all that. And I think really, it's, you know, with a combination of like the industry growing like it is just in general, and then I think like with COVID happening, I think, The byproduct of that was it forced a lot of people outside also and then you know with the government handing out stimmy checks like crazy people had money burning holes in their pockets
1: that was chris freeman sharing his story of the covid boost what do wax cotton canvas fishing bags brad pitt and eddie bauer have in common listen in and chris brings it all together today on the wet fly swing fly fishing show welcome to the wet fly swing fly fishing show where you discover tips tricks and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today hey how you doing today thank you for stopping by the show click that subscribe button or that follow button and you'll get updated when the next big episode goes live on this podcast today's episode is presented by togen's fly shop providing superior products at an affordable price Uh, Tons of resources, tying materials, tools, accessories, everything you need to get started, to up your game, to dig into your tying game with Togans. They've been over delivering since 2005, so it's time to check it out right now. Head over to wetflyswing.com slash Togans and start your journey right now. You support this podcast by clicking over through Togans online. T-O-G-E-N-S. Togans anglers coffee roast a full range of coffees with one goal in mind you know they're delivering excellent coffee to every single angler that's our goal our goal here is if you drink coffee i want you to be drinking anglers everybody who listens this is our goal for joe this year they've got it all going you've heard it all before joe's got an awesome ship awesome coffee he's got a good ship going there so head over to wetflyswing.com slash anglers to uh support a sustainable company with unsurpassed taste. Chris Freeman, musician, old school gear nerd, and full-time fly fishing product headman, shares his river runs through it story today. We find out about the benefits of this wax cotton bag above the classic lines and who originally connected us through this podcast. Shout out to Tyler for all the Tylers in the house. All the Tyler's in this right now. All the Tyler's. Raise the roof. Come on. Raise the roof. Tyler, I know you're out there. You're hearing me. This is all you. Let's do it. Raise it. So without further ado, here is Chris Freeman from EmergerFlyFishing.com. How's it going, Chris? Hey, Dave. How's it going, dude? Good. Good. Good to have you on the show here, man. We're going to... We're going to jump into some, um, what kind of looks like uh, some old school uh, fishing gear, which is pretty cool. So we've been, we actually had a recent episode, which was like a classic gear episode we did. And it was, yeah, you know, we're talking about like vintage and classic and all this stuff. But your stuff kind of reminds me of that a little bit, which is pretty cool. But, um, you know, you're at Emerger Fly Fishing and we're going to jump into that. But before we do, take us back to uh, the fly fishing, the beginning of how you got into fly fishing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't have some sort of like cool story about, you know, deep fly fishing lineage. You know, my grandfather taking me out when I was little to the family pond and getting to cast his bamboo rod and all that. And, you know, I'm pretty jealous of, uh, you know, some guys that have cool stories like that. I didn't, I didn't come to fly fishing probably till uh, much later in life. I've, I've been fishing for probably 13 or 14 years now. Um, and I think for me, honestly, fly fishing is probably one of those things that's kind of been pursuing me my whole life. And we've just been kind of missing each other. I think, um, I was born down outside of Houston, Texas and, uh, grew up there pretty early. And then when I was about probably eight years old, I think it was the summer before my third grade year, my parents kind of came to my brother and I and announced that we were moving to Alaska
1: Hmm.
0: and that had to do with my dad's job. He worked for an oil company at the time and had put in for a transfer. And I think my parents kind of just wanted to give my brother and I the experience of, you know, kind of growing up somewhere else and have, you know, just seeing someplace different than where we were born at. And my parents, I think, kind of just wanted to be somewhere different also. And so when I was right before my third grade year, my parents kind of up and moved us to Alaska. And so we ended up living in Palmer, um, which is right outside of Anchorage in the Matsu Valley. We lived there for uh, for about six and a half years and then came back to Texas I guess probably around the time I was 15. So it was like halfway through my freshman year. And the irony of all that is that I lived in a place, it's like this epic fly fishing destination for salmon fishery and, hmm. you know, all these great Northern, you know, yep. uh, cold water species and all that. And fly fishing was not on my radar in any way. <laughs> and it's just this, yeah, it's one of those things I look back now and I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? Like <laughs> I, I lived in this, you know, amazing place and it just wasn't a thing, you know, and, like our family wasn't really, um, big, you know, fishermen or hunters or anything like that at the time, we went fishing three or four times when we were there, but it was just conventional fishing for salmon or halibut, you know, my dad would hire a guide and, yeah. and all that stuff. But, you know, we ended up back in Texas, um, not in Houston, but in, uh, Tyler, which is kind of between Dallas and Shreveport. Um, and I finished out high school there and ended up becoming a musician. Huh. And so, uh, did college there for a couple of years and moved to Nashville and did music there, uh, both for school and just kind of playing around with some stuff. And again, like the irony is like, I'm living you know, not that far from some other really great fly fishing areas in eastern Tennessee and western North Carolina, and probably new guys that even fly fished at the time, and it just wasn't even on my radar at all, you know. And then I ended up going back to Texas again, and uh, ended up kind of touring and playing at a bunch of bands as a singer songwriter, and just playing different instruments and stuff like that. And at some point, kind of ended up working at a church of all things, and working with um, doing both music stuff and then kind of working with college students also, and. One of the things with working with college students was that I I spent a lot of time with college students just coming and sitting in my office and just kind of spilling, you know, whatever's going on in their life to me and all that and kind of doing some counseling and stuff, and which I love doing. But it turns out that most of that can be pretty heavy. And so I kind of mm-hmm. was finding that I needed um, ways to just kind of unwind and decompress and all that. And a buddy of mine, Matt, started taking me out bass fishing just with conventional tack on all that. And I just really loved, I just really fell in love with fishing and spent the next three or four years just chasing bass like crazy all over East Texas and, and all that. And then, and then one day uh, I came across the movie, a river runs through it, which ah, is the, you yeah, go. you know, the, you know, everybody's got their kind of sappy river runs through it story. And, and I saw that movie and I think, I, I think probably with the fly fishing, what, what really drew me to fly fishing and watching that movie was, I think it appealed to the creative side of me, you know some of the romantic qualities of fly fishing and all that, and so I'm sitting there watching that movie, and I thought, well, are you kidding me? If Brad Pitt can do it, I can do it, right? <laughs> and uh, you know that turned out to be a uh, gross miscalculation on my yep, part, as far that's as right. Brad's <laughs> as pretty talented. As, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so you know, I, I uh, end up convincing a buddy of mine uh, that we should get into fly fishing. He fished even less than I did, and we didn't know anybody that fly fished at the time, uh, but we. Kind of talk to each other into doing. He's one of those friends that we both have been like throughout our lives. That kind of talked to each other into mm-hmm. doing and you know, trying, you know, ridiculous things and all that, and just kind of seeing what would happen. And so we went to, you know, went to the local like Gander Mountain and got cheap rod reel setups, and um, ended up looking just like total morons out on the water trying to figure stuff out. And I think one of my first times that I really ever got a chance at trout because I mean we're living in Texas, so there's not a whole lot of trout opportunities in Texas. Uh, we we took a trip to up to your we had some friends staying in your and we came up and stayed with them for a week and had decided all right we're gonna go hit like the you know the gunnison man we're gonna go into black yep. canyon and go hit the gunnison and and try it and we had no clue what we were doing we'd had we know the right gear we didn't have, i mean like i'm i'm talking like stealing waders from the church baptistry you know <laughs> so like you know ridiculously heavy rubber waders and weren't breathable and here we are walking through black canyon looking like looking like idiots and everybody's probably looking at us like crazy. And we spent most of the two days trying to fish just tangled up in our own lines and not knowing the difference between dry flies and nymphs. And, you know, people talking to us about trying dry, you know, dry dropper rigs and all this. We're like, I have no clue what you're talking about, man, but we're just shaking (laughs) our head. Yes. Like, Oh yeah, yeah, totally, man. Like, can yeah, absolutely. I get it. You know? And so, you know, that was our story and and just trying to figure it out from there. And I think the reason I stayed with it was just, uh, probably a testimony more than anything else to my own stubbornness, I really honestly, I just picked up a fly rod and it didn't matter whether I was catching fish or not. I just absolutely fell in love with it and haven't really ever gone back to conventional fishing since then. You know, I was just bound to determine that, you know, wherever I was going to go, I was going to try and get into fish. And so I spent some time in Texas, um, you know, still chasing bass and stuff like that. And eventually in 2010, we moved, uh, here to Colorado and we've been living in Fort Collins ever since. And, you know, just getting to know Colorado and, fallen in love with trout fishing and and all that. And then somewhere along the way, kind of accidentally started a fly fishing business.
1: So, yeah, that's right. And the fly fishing business is cool because when I first saw your bags, the river runs through it is kind of, I think the first thing that went across my mind because, (laughs) you know, in that movie, you know, Brad Pitt, like you said, you know, it it actually, we had a river runs through it episode. The guy that, um, was a coach, uh, for Brad Pitt and some other people in the show notes. But, um, but yeah, I mean, obviously that gear that Brad was wearing, the, the old hat and the that bag that looks similar to yours. And we'll dig into a little bit of that, but it's yeah. definitely, definitely a throwback. I want to go back to, you mentioned, so you're in Alaska, which is also amazing, you know, for that period of time. Why did, you know, why did your family, why did your dad uh, move back? Why did you leave Alaska?
0: I think it was just really just the distance from family uh, more than anything. I think we all loved living there. Um, I, I think it appealed. But both of my parents moved around a lot when they were... When they were younger, my my mom's dad was lieutenant commander in the navy, and so she lived all over the country from Hawaii to West Virginia. So she spent her whole childhood moving around, and my dad was in the navy and loved, you know, um, was used to kind of moving around and uh, spent a lot of time just just I think adventure and just you know kind of uprooting and 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 doing some of that stuff really appealed to them, and they wanted my brother and I. I think they wanted to instill that in us. And so I think, you know, that's what took us there. And I think really it was just the distance. I mean, you, you know, from Texas, it was a nine hour flight with layovers and all that, you know, and so we're seeing family a couple times a year and my dad's parents were getting older and all that. And I think he wanted to be closer to his parents. And so, yeah, yeah you know, so it, it was, it was a total bummer to, to move. And, um, I, I've, you know, I mean, that's been 20 something years ago that we lived in Alaska and I've never gotten to go back. And I, I, you know, still to this day, really want to go back and, and get into salmon and all that stuff on a fly rod and, and all that. But, um, yeah, you know, like, uh, we ended up in Texas instead and that's just been a part of my story. And, and honestly, I think, you know, I'd be in a very different place in my life if we hadn't moved back to Texas. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. And Texas is a a hot spot for fishing as well. So that's not a bad place to land. And the weather is a little overall, it's, it's a little uh, nicer, right? Throughout the year.
0: It's a little warmer. I I would definitely say that I was not, uh, even being born in Texas and, and having moved back there and spent most of my, you know, growing up and a lot of my adult life there, I, I don't ever, I don't know that I can say that I identify with being a Texan. Oh yeah. You know, like I, I remember moving back as a freshman going, dude it is so freaking hot here all the time, you know? Yeah. Right. And so, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, you get a lot more sunny days, you're not having to deal with the crazy sub zero temperatures that you do in the winter in Alaska. And so, you know, there's trade-offs both ways, but, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's part of what drew us to Colorado too, is it was kind of a happy medium between Alaska and, gotcha and, uh, being in Texas and everything.
1: Well, let's hear about how you just kind of mentioned a little bit there on, on the bag. So how do you go from, you know, obviously you're into fly fishing, you're loving it. And now you create uh, this company building these bags. How did that come to be?
0: Yeah. Um, so when we, I, I get, well, I'll, I'll go back and say when I first really started, um, trying my hand at trout, um, this was after our terrible experience in URA, uh, and in black Canyon and all that, we, we ended up back in Texas and I met another guy that, Uh, that did a little bit of fly fishing here and there. And he told me about Beaver's Bend State Park in Oklahoma, which is about three hours from us. And Beaver's Bend is a pretty cool trout fishery. It's definitely, uh, at least at the time, there were parts of it that were kind of like the kiddie pool of fly fishing. So if you really wanted to try your hand at a trout and you had no clue what you were doing, you could still get in there and be almost guaranteed you were going to get a fish no matter what time of the year you went. And so we started going up there probably once a month or so and still just had, I, you know, I'd bought a cheap pair of, you know, neoprene waders from, you know, the local sporting goods store and still looking like an idiot out there and everything Just we were just trying to figure stuff out. But my very first thing that I ever had to carry any sort of gear was this little Eddie Bauer satchel that was just oh, yeah. kind of carried like a messenger bag. And it was big enough. And honestly, I used to use it when I would travel internationally a lot. Cause I could hold my passport in there and plane tickets and yeah. some things like that. And, and it was big enough to hold a fly box and a pair of nippers and some hemostats and, and stuff like that. And that was the very first thing I fished with until we moved to Colorado. And I kind of started, I got, you know, I owned several different pieces of gear. I've had waist packs and chest packs and sling bags and, yeah. you know, the whole gamut. And honestly, like I, I was just using all these different pieces of gear, trying stuff out. And some of them wore out much quicker than what I thought they would. And that was kind of a disappointment. And then, and some of it was, I just didn't like the form factors of any of them. You know, like I did, I, you know, I kind of liked the chest pack for a while, but I hated not being able to see my feet when I was walking through the river and, you know, just things like that. And at some point I kind of, you know, just started remembering this like really simple Eddie Bauer thing that wasn't even meant to be used for fishing. But I just remember that it was, it seemed just so convenient to me to have that kind of slung on me like that. And I kind of started dreaming up, you know, like, you know, what if I had a bag that was more like a messenger bag style thing, like some sort of side bag that I could carry on my side. And I didn't have a clue about sewing or anything like that. I had no clue about any of that. But my mom happens to be a seamstress. Um, she had to grow up, learn how to sew her own clothes and all that. And so they came in to visit uh, and I told her, I was like, hey, I got this kind of idea for this bag or whatever. Could you kind of give me a sewing lesson? Just show me because I didn't know how to sew, use a sewing machine. And so she sat me down. We kind of drew up a really basic design of just a really basic messenger bag um, and kind of sewed it up in a day. And I kind of got the idea and, you know, in the mechanics of sewing and kind of what it took to sew a bag. And, you know, it's kind of those deals like anytime you make something, you have an idea for something, you make it. And the the moment you make it, you kind of see it, you hold it, you go, oh, now that I'm holding it, I've done this, I know that I would change this and this and this and this. And so. Um, I kind of, you know, after making one went, oh, well, this isn't anything kind of, you know, what I wanted. So I kind of drew up another design and um, got behind my wife's really cheap little, you know, sewing machine that she had bought, like at the craft store or whatever, and sewed up another one with some cheap canvas that was bought at like a Joanne's fabric or something. And, you know, just went through, um, started going through iterations, just trying things and trying to add different features. And at some point that led me kind of stumbling onto you know, the wax canvas and some of the materials that we use now from just using normal, you know, regular canvas to waxing canvas and, and all that kind of discovering some of those things and the qualities about them and, and all that. And, and then at some point when I was out fishing with some of this stuff, I'd had friends that I fished with start asking me about gear and, you know, had, had I thought about selling them or would I make them one. So I made some friends, some packs and things. And then at some point I, you know, I just kind of went, I don't know somebody had suggested that I put one online and sell it. And I said, well, we're, you know, I don't know where to sell this stuff, you know, and somebody suggested me Etsy and I didn't have a clue what Etsy was at the time, but I got an account and put one on there and it sold like a week later and kind of took the money and, um, you know, bought some more material, made another one. And that kind of just, you know, exploded from there. And now, I mean, we still, we still have an Etsy shop and all that, but most of our sales now are through our website and mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But yeah, it was just, you know, it's just a something that kind of started on accident. At some point we kind of looked up and went, okay, we've got, like we've we've kind of graduated from just being this like random thing on etsy that's selling a bag every now and then so like we have people consistently buying gear from us and and wanting things and and all that and so it kind of became something that was a little bit more official and it was just totally on accident that it happened and yeah you know here i am six years later you know owning a fly fishing gear business so
1: quick word from our sponsor Stonefly Nets is putting quality before quantity with their handcrafted custom wood nets. Charleston, South Carolina native Ethan Iglehart was bitten by the fly fishing bug in 2014 and shortly thereafter started Stonefly Nets. Ethan lives in the trout-rich waters of the Arkansas Ozarks and handcrafts these nets, which you are going to love. I can be honest here and tell you that Stonefly brought me into the net world and I am happy they did because before this, you know the story, I wasn't really a big net person. And after having the Stonefly net, it's just, it's, uh, you definitely don't go back. <laughs> You're not going back after that. And now that I've got my new sling pack, I've got all the gear, the net clips on really nice. So it's just a good fit. You know, I always have that net and I can get my pitcher and I can get the good stuff. You can select from uh, four different sizes and a bunch of different wood options, some handle options, some burl options. You can go full custom or just grab something off the shelf. Ethan's got you covered on everything. And uh, he always loves to tell a story back to his grandmother and the connection of him remembering that old bamboo rod. And he thinks of that when he's building these these nets as well. It's that old connection to some classic products that are going to last you a lifetime. So if you want to get started right now, head over to wetflyswing.com slash stonefly and get a custom net right now. That's Stonefly, S-T-O-N-E-F-L-Y. Okay, back to the show. And what is, so the wax canvas, uh, describe the, you know, how somebody that doesn't know, I mean, obviously, I think a lot of people would know it's, I think it's pretty much waterproof. But talk about how that's different than, say, any other fly bag material you would use.
0: Yeah. So uh, I would say the two biggest qualities and probably where a lot of misconceptions happen around it also with wax canvas, but the two biggest qualities of it are the water repellency and the durability of it. Um, I get a lot of questions from people that are asking if it's waterproof and wax canvas isn't waterproof. It is. So, and, and what it is, is it's, it's cotton. Um, that is not just ha- like it, the surface is not just treated with, with a wax. Mm-hmm. It's actually saturated all the way through into the fibers of the of the material so down to the core of every fiber is wax all the way through so even if it gets scratched or rubbed up against something and the wax is hurt on the surface there's wax all the way through the fabric from one side you know from top to bottom all the way through both surfaces Uh, and so it does create a super super water repellent product but it's not waterproof because it still has to be sewn together. You can't weld it yeah. like you can um, some of the laminated fabrics, like TPU fabrics and yep. things like that. So anywhere you, anytime you have to sew something, you're poking holes in the fabric, and so water can get through seams. But it takes it takes quite a while. Like I can have my bag sitting in water while I'm fishing, and it takes 30 minutes to an hour to start seeing any sort of real water collecting in the in the bag at all. Gotcha. But then, like you know, we use brass zippers, and so brass zippers aren't watertight. You know, so if you're going to dunk your bag. It, then you're going to get water coming in through the zippers and things like that. Um, but, you know, so it's, it's not waterproof. It's super, super water resistant and really weatherproof uh, and all that stuff. And because it's, you know, because of the wax, it doesn't stink when it gets wet and all that. It doesn't mold. It's super, super easy right. to clean and all that stuff. But then you can just beat the trash out of it. It is bulletproof. It's, it's insane how tough this stuff is. And I, like, I tell this story a lot that I was up in the, up in our, our Canyon outside of Fort Collins fishing one day, and I had been fishing a spot, and went back to my truck and loaded some gear in the back of my truck. And I didn't realize that I'd left my bag hanging on the bumper of my truck. And I started driving up the canyon with my bag just dragging along the highway behind me. Oh wow! And two or three miles later, I had somebody um, flashing their headlights at me, and I pulled over at the next pullout. And they told me that I had stuff hanging off the back of my truck. And I went, I, I thought, oh my god, like my bags, like I've spilled all my my gear all o- yep. out over the highway and all that stuff. And you can even tell I've been juggling the highway. It's just, it's just insanely, insanely durable. And so there's that quality. And then just the fact that you can renew it. So you can buy, um, refinishing bars of wax. And oh, as right. the bag starts to break in and wear out and wax kind of naturally just, um, leaches out of the bag over time, you can re-wax the bag and get it back 100% to its full water repellency and, and durability and everything else. And that's why, you know, it's it has this reputation of just lasting insanely long periods of time, 20 and 30 years. I mean, you hear all, you think about brands like Filson and stuff like that that sell lots of oil cloth and tin cloth, and that's all the same kind of deal. It's, it's different iterations of, of oil or wax. And, you know, you've got guys that are telling stories about getting bags handed down from their grandfathers, yeah. you know, and stuff like that that have been, you know, all over the world because it just lasts forever and ever and ever so.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. No, so I mean, and it's also just the, like you said, the look, right. You kind of people that are buying your stuff want something that's a little bit different than, you know, your waterproof dry bag or whatever other sling pack. This is kind of unique. So do you think people are first coming because they want to get it because of how it looks or because of the durability in that piece?
0: Man, that's a good question. I think honestly, it's both. I think we get a lot of customers that are actually already really educated on the product and what it is. And like, and, and for instance, like we get a lot of Philson customers and I don't say that to be like a, like disparaging gets Philson I love, uh, you know, products like Filsen. they I mean you don't get to be a brand that's over a hundred years old without making just absolutely killer products. Right. So like when somebody comes to me and they say, Hey, like I've been fishing, you know, Filsen stuff and using Filson gear for instance, for a really long time. And I kind of just want to take it to the next level. Like, honestly, for me, I'm just kind of like humbled by that going like, Oh man, that's awesome. that You would come to us instead of sticking with this, you know, absolutely killer brand or something. So, so there's a lot of people that are really already educated on that. And, and they, they're just looking for the next, the next thing, or they want something that's a little bit more boutique, you know, or they want more of a relationship with the person that's making it. And then we have guys that just like the look of it and they have, and and that's cool too. You know, like I, I don't really push it for the aesthetic quality. I think that kind of just speaks to itself really kind of what we, what we push it as is, you want, you want gear that you can just take out and beat the trash out of. That's going to stay with you forever. You know, that's, that's really what we push it as. And then the guys that like it for the aesthetic or the timeless quality, like they, they kind of find us either way. And, you know, so we get a lot of guys that are, you know, they're, um, like the, the purists of the sport and all that stuff that come and they, and they love it because they want all bamboo rods. They want all, you know, natural materials and all that. And then there's guys that just want stuff that you can just, that they're just willing to spend the money just for something that's going to last them for forever. So, right, you know, right. it's, it's kind of across the board.
1: Yeah, no, that's cool. And it is some of that classic gear, you know, there's a lot of, that was that episode we did on the classic gear. It was, you know, there's a lot of gear that's, you know, still super high quality stuff, you know, that's out there that, yeah. you know, you don't have to necessarily buy a brand new thing from whatever, a brand new reel. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff that's still good. Yeah, we talked about that. and But, um, but no, this is good. So we got a good feel for your products. And you also do some other stuff, yep. right? You have like some flywalls. Talk about your other items you have in your line.
0: Yeah, so our, the main two things that we do with all of our fly fishing stuff is that we sell our side bags. And we have a couple different bags, and then just we do some accessories and stuff. And I'd say mo- most of those accessories are kind of focused around wallets, just organizational tools to help. Mm-hmm. So we have we have one wallet that is just made to help organize leaders and all that stuff, and it's got it's got a bunch of different pockets in it, so you can kind of stick your leaders in and have them organized from you know seven x through one x, and you know put some you know. Uh, Put put some other stuff like that, and if you need to hold a fishing license or something. And then we have one that's a streamer wallet um, that a lot of guys will take out. I don't I don't do a whole lot of streamer fishing myself, but a lot of guys love that. You know, if they're you know, still header guys and stuff like that who don't who aren't necessarily looking to you know take a, a pack out or anything else, they can just throw some right. throw some flies in there and um and and get going. And then we have one that's more of a hybrid, and that was really kind of put also towards like the trout spay guys and the still head guys that you know may want to carry a few a few tips with them and some flies and kind of get out on the water with that and just kind of be minimalist and organized with it. And so th- those are our three main ones. It's a streamer wallet, a leader wallet, and then kind of a, we call it our hybrid, but it's, it's kind of a half leader wallet, half streamer wallet.
1: Gotcha. And your bags are, so are there a lot of guys, I would think with the steelhead cause that's one question I had, you know, if you're fishing like a deep, yeah. deep run up to your chest or something like that, yeah, your yeah. bag, like you said, if your bag's underwater, it's eventually going to get wet, but it can kind of splash Are guys using it for, kind of some of that deeper fishing as well. Yeah.
0: Uh, we have actually quite a few guys that are still that use our stuff. And I, I've talked to some of them and I, it sounds like some of them are wearing it when they're fishing the deep hole. Some of them will, will leave it on the, on the bank when they're using it. Um, a lot of guys ask about, you know, like, well, what if I'm wading in, you know, past my waist or something like that, you know? And at most of the guys that I've talked to and what I've done myself when I've waded that deep is I just cinched the bag up, you know, oh, yeah. I just wear it much higher on my, on my body and all that stuff to kind of get up above my waist. and uh, you know, and all that. And I think, you know, really like, unless you're still heading, if you're, if you're wading chest deep in water, you're probably doing something wrong <laughs> at, right. at some point, you know, unless you're still heading. So, you know, I'll get questions, you know, from guys sometimes about that. I'm like, what are you doing fishing that you're like, <laughs> are you going swimming while you're fishing or whatever, you know? So exactly. I, I would say, you know, 90% of the time it's, it's not an issue. <laughs> and I think probably still guys are probably the only ones that we'll have to worry about it, but we do, we sell a lot of gear to still guys and all over the Pacific Northwest and up into British Columbia, you know, I've got a customer that he's really well known here around town and and all that but he's drug his bag all the way from Patagonia up to British Columbia multiple times on still heading adventures and giant trout adventures and Patagonia and all that and and he loves it you know he he wears it all the time and and it's his his favorite pack that he that he wears you know so yeah i don't still head myself just because of you know proximity to it or whatever so i haven't had a chance to test it myself but i know a lot of guys that are using it for still heading
1: yeah definitely no it is and i think that's the thing steelheaders are a little bit crazy and i was just watching a mm-hmm. trevor kovich uh video he and he i'm not sure if it was him or his client but the guy was out in a super deep run up to his you know chest yeah, yeah. and he had a fish on that was cartwheeling out there and stuff so yeah, it, oh, it, yeah occasionally you'll find yourself there but yeah like you said if you do you cinch it up and you just kind of go with it and yeah it's uh yeah it's all good so yeah
0: and, and i would say also well i was going to say also like with the like I think a lot of people's concern with the water repellency to waterproofness and the, I think that's a thing that gets pushed a lot right now. And it's it is super cool. I mean, everybody's you know, we're all carrying electronics with us and all that yes. stuff yep. too, you know. And and I think that, that there's there's legitimate concern about that. But I think everybody also has a story about putting their electronics in something that's quote unquote waterproof you know, and we haven't zipped it all the way right. or something like that. And so all of us have learned over time, if you spend any time on the water, that if you really don't want it to get wet, even if I'm, even if I was carrying a fully waterproof pack, I'm still going to put my phone in its own separate waterproof pocket, Yeah, you know, um, just, just because I've learned that lesson multiple times I've been over and had it fall out of one of my pockets on my bag, or, you know, it's fallen out of a shirt pocket or, you know, whatever. So I, I think, most of us have learned the lesson over time that regardless of the waterproofness of our bags, you know, like if we don't want our electronics to get damaged, we just need to put them in a,
1: <laughs> you know, yeah, some other sort zip of lock. like, even a Ziploc,
0: yeah, Ziploc or something like that, you know, like that's, that's just a lesson you learn pretty quickly on the water.
1: That's right. Are there So you have this product out there. And again, I always think, like we said at the start, the river runs through it. So it sounds like none of this was yeah. really, really guided. I mean, maybe that was in the back of your mind, but really it was more of that Eddie Bauer bag than it was the river runs through it, like traditional kind of thoughts, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, well, I I would say as far as like the form factor was guided by the Eddie Bauer and just loving, you know, I, I always carry messenger bags around with me when I'm you know, going around town and stuff like that too. So like that's, that's a form factor that's really comfortable for me. And yeah. the aesthetic thing, I think I kind of just stumbled upon it. And there was a couple of reasons for that. One was I, I do like the look of it. And part of growing up in Alaska is I was around a lot of military guys. There's a whole big military population up there and all that. And, you know, we're close to Elmdorf Air Force Base and all that. And and being a kid of the 80s also, you know, my favorite movie growing up was Top Gun. And I just oh, yeah. loved the look <laughs> of just this, you know, yeah, who's who's not excited for a new Top Gun movie to come out? Um, right. Oh, is it coming out? <laughs> uh, at some point before we die, it keeps getting put off. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah, who knows. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, I loved the look of like just the, you know, the, the olive green, you know, army colors and the color, you know, the army green color flight suits and all that. And, uh, back, back in the eighties and stuff, like a lot of pilots would have these like colors of pop, you know, like yellows and reds and stuff like that to kind of pop with their, you know, with the green of their flight suits and all that. And so, um, a lot of it was kind of inspired by that look. And that's kind of why I'm sort of drawn to like the olives and the Browns and stuff like that. And then I, you know, some of it also, like, because I'm a musician, and I walk around in either a pair of vans or a pair of Chuck Taylors all the time. I love like the white top stitching on all my shoes. And so I put just put this little pop of white top stitching on all of our bags, just because it looks pretty cool, uh, you know, on a bag and all that. But yeah, so I, you know, I think some of it was inspired by just kind of growing up with a lot of friends that who had dads that were in the military, and I had parents that were in the military and, and all that stuff. And then I think, I kind of at some point just discovered the waxed canvas and leather quality of that also and those really mar- I mean those kind of naturally married themselves together with that. So the form factor yeah came from Eddie Bauer and then the aesthetic properties and the and the, the particular materials I think were probably more inspired by just looking for the durability and just kind of like kind of what I grew up around and all that.
1: Gotcha. I when I think of it like companies doing I mean, maybe Filson is one of them but are there other companies out there making a similar kind of bag to what you have or are there a lot i'm not even sure
0: there are uh two or three there are honestly a lot of like smaller boutique you know manufacturers and you probably interviewed some of them you know like there's guys from like deli fresh and yakota yeah down in the denver area um, there's yep. another uh, manufacturer that does something similar to what we do um uh over in new england i think they're in vermont if i remember correctly and they do something really similar to what we're doing you know and you know there's not a lot of us that are doing that and you know there's the fly fishing industry's niche as it is, there's still, you know, uh, there's a lot of room for people to try out a lot of different products and, and to make a lot of different things. And, you know, at the end of the day, regardless of whether we're making, you know, waterproof packs that are, that look like space packs, you know, down to stuff that we're making or other brands like us are making like, you know, a bag is a bag is a bag at the end of the day. I mean, they've been around yeah. forever and we're all just doing right. different versions of, of the same thing and looking for yeah. different qualities and, you know, kind of what we exactly. want to focus on. And for us, that was, for us it was it was about you know having bags that were durable it, like i'm i'm a big believer in in storytelling and like living you know just living in a way that you have a lot of stories to tell and i love the idea that you that i can make a product that you can go out and just beat the trash out of and it will wear all of those scars really well and kind of carries a piece of your history with it you know on that product and i think that that's really cool you know that that's something you can pass down to somebody else at the end of your life or whatever and, and they get a piece of your history and everything. And uh, yeah, I just think that's a really cool thing to do and to be able to help tell those stories. So
1: that's right. I have an old, uh, vest. It's funny. I just recently got a new sling pack and, uh, and I had this old vest I was using, like literally the vest, right. You don't see that too often, but yeah, man, sure. I'll tell you what, I, I got my use out of it. It was a Columbia vest and I got it. Gosh, I I'm not even sure it might be 20 years old. And I just liked it because it fit. I always liked the vest, and and now I'm mm-hmm. I'm past the vest. I've been to the sling, so I've been to the <laughs> 21st century. And uh, but I, you know, I do a lot of steelhead, obviously, and stuff too. So I like yeah. the little minimalist stuff too, where it's just like a little, yeah, yeah, a little tiny chest pack, or yeah, whatever. So yeah, totally. This is good. Uh, okay, well, this is. Uh, I think we're gonna start to take it out of here in a little bit, and I uh, just had a couple of questions. Just thinking. I mean, these are some stuff not necessarily exactly related to the bag, but just you, I mean, you mentioned music. So is that something, what was the, what were the instruments? Are you still playing or what, what are you doing there?
0: Uh, yeah, I do still play. So I, my dad's side of the family was really, really musical when I was growing up. Like I had an,
1: uh, my dad's uncle was, I think,
0: like the director of like the Army National Band in Washington, D.C. who played for like Reagan and all this. And so I had I had family members, I think, that owned music stores and were band directors and all this stuff. And so I grew up with music in my life. My dad loved listening to music and and all that. So I started kind of singing when I was really young and picked up drums when I was in elementary school and played drums through high school. And later in high school, I picked up guitar and ended up being a music major with a like a focus on commercial voice, which is like, you know, like popular music vocal performance kind of a deal. Um, but, you know, along the way, just picking up other instruments and all that and playing, you know, you play around enough people to play other instruments and you kind of start to pick them up. And then just as a music major, as you learn all the theory and stuff that goes into that, you kind of you can take the theory. And if you learn, you know, you learn that you can apply it to just by anything you pick up. So I play piano and guitar and bass and mandolin and drums and and all this stuff and i'm not amazing at any of them but i'm i kind of consider myself to be a a utility player uh, more than anything else and i've done a lot of uh, work in studios and and helping to produce other friends and all that and um so i can i'm a guy that you know when i'm in a recording studio if somebody needs an extra musician to sit in and do this one part i can pick it up and and play it and, and get the yeah. part done for somebody and all that so i did that and that, you know touring with that and then working in some studios and doing that kind of stuff and i still i don't, I don't really do it professionally anymore but i still have guitars sitting all over my house and pianos oh, cool. and all that yeah. stuff so i still do all that stuff all the time just for my own my own joy so
1: question question here's the question have you ever passed up a fishing hole because you didn't have your rod handy maybe you were around the city and you're like oh wow there's a water body there's a fish rising you didn't have your rod handy those days are behind you now with the rare gear packable rod this thing is crazy it's kind of like a it's kind of like a mixture between Tenkara and like traditional rods it's what you might call the holy grail of rods uh, you got to see this thing take a look at the video the way this thing packs down literally this thing has no guides it packs up small enough to put in your bag in your hip pack and it travels with the fly on so literally you just pull it out and within seconds you're fishing and uh, this is pretty cool and you're probably thinking or you might be thinking if this is the first time you heard that this, this is some type of a gimmick and I can tell you it's not I've been using this thing and it's literally right now in my camo backpack It's always there and ready to go, and I've been busting that thing out. It casts great. It's not going to cast as long as your your seven weight into the wind sort of thing, but you can shoot some line out no problem, and it feels good, and it's just compact and ready to go. So this is another thing to add into your quiver. This might not be your only rod, but it is another rod that's going to— it's like that tool in the toolbox, right? Another tool in the toolbox. You can head over to Rare Gear uh, Rare Gear right now, raregear.com, and check out this very unique product. That's rare, R-E-Y-R, gear.com. Check it out right now. You support this podcast by checking it out and checking out a good video, something different right now. You support this podcast by clicking there now. Okay, back to the show. Are there any, uh, is there like a, uh, videos out there with, or anything with your, uh, you said you're in some bands from your past.
0: Probably not. Uh, all the bands that I was in, this was uh pre, uh, YouTube era and all this stuff. So gotcha. yeah, I don't know that there's any videos of me out yeah, there yeah. playing anywhere.
1: What was the name? Give us a name of a bit. Ba- what was one of the band names?
0: Oh gosh. The one that would probably be most, rec- and I think they changed their band name after I got out of the band. See, out of high school i played in a band called 7 Channels.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And uh they ended up I I quit the band cuz the lead singer and I I kind of just started realizing he he wasn't uh the person I enjoyed hanging around with the most <laughs> right. and I was going to yeah. be a music major. Anyway, so I was going to go off school so I ended up quitting the band, but um they I think ended up changing their name to The Vanished or something like that, but so there may be videos of, of them out there but I'm not in the band anymore. Gotcha. And that's, that would probably the one that people might recognize the most. And they, I, yeah. they went on and got a record contract and, um, huh. I think they toured with a bunch of people and, and all that stuff, but that was after I left the band and, and everything. And then, you know, just working with singer songwriters and kind of doing some of that myself and all, but yeah, nothing
1: super recognizable or anything. There you go. Yeah. It was just, uh. Yeah, music always comes up. It's interesting for me because sometimes I'll throw in a uh throw in a, a music, you know, a track in the in the show oh, yeah, just yeah. to keep it interesting. But uh, and we had Burkheimer on who builds some pretty amazing Raws, and he was a musician, you know, in okay. his past and he, yeah. he you know, he talked about how he gave it. He's glad he did because a lot of his, his friends that were in, you know, in that world are dead now. Oh, it was just yeah, kind of yeah. tough. And it sounds like you were more a little more classically trained, mate, so you maybe you weren't in necessarily that scene. But it is an interesting scene, right?
0: yeah it is and i mean like well i mean i guess classically trained like I, I was there's classical music that you have to do when you're a music major but all the bands that i played in were grunge bands and oh, you okay. know uh, you know all that yeah. kind of stuff so I, I mean i grew up in the 90s i'm a kid of the 90s and
1: oh yeah so that's what i was gonna say there uh chris so i was listening to eddie Vedder on another podcast i was just yeah, kind of yeah. curious so you're in that era. what was your that grunge scene when uh who was your band in that scene
0: uh man i mean it's hard to go wrong with bands like nirvana yeah um sound stuff like that i mean obviously pearl jam and and, and yeah. things like that so you know just growing up and you know in and in a lot of that my wife uh was she's a few years younger than me but she you know kind of came in on the tail end of that and was really into bands like jameet world and weezer and you know oh, yeah. and all that stuff yep. and so you know just pretty much any band that you would have heard during the 90s we spent yeah spent time on on uh on circulation in our CD players in our cars, you know, that's in the right. '90s, back when people still
1: played CDs. That's right. No, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I'll, I'll throw it just for fun. I'll throw it a Pearl Jam uh, song in the, uh, in the show notes. We'll get a, we'll get a video, a little shout out yeah. to that era. So that, yeah, that was a, a game changer for sure. Uh, okay. So anything else you want to, you know, give a shout out to what you have going either now, I, I was going to ask you, you know, kind of a question about getting the word out, how you do it with your company, but tell us about anything new. What are do you doing in the next six months or so?
0: Uh, next six months. I mean, really for us, like we have put a lot of focus into our business, um, really kind of me going full time into it over the last year and a half. It's kind of been a side hustle almost for the first several years. And over the last year and a half or two years, we kind of went, okay, let's just go full on into it. And so we spent a lot of time just as our business has grown, just working on efficiencies and things like that. So that's kind of been the name of our game. It's just speeding up production and everything. And I think my, my mantra for for our gear because it, we really are, when you use the term like mom and pop business, that is what we are. It is, it is me making everything. And yep. my wife does a lot of our marketing stuff and a lot of our backend kind of stuff and all that. Um, so for me, you know, it's, it's always been a question of like, what can we do? And like, I, well, I, I would say I'm, I'm more interested in doing a few things well, but doing a ton of stuff and doing a, you know, some sort of half caught job at it, you know? And so just continuing for us to focus on the products that we have and then looking at you know, places that we want to expand. we look at a lot of that. We get a lot of questions about whether or not, you know, we're interested in expanding into hunting gear. And so we look at some hunting Mm. gear sometimes, um, or, you know, just moving towards more, some, some more lifestyle kind of things, messenger bags. We do a lot of custom work on like messenger bags and doubles and stuff for travel and all that. And really, you know, like for us, we, we, we think of ourselves as a, as a people brand, like in just the, on the relationship side of it, we have just phenomenal relationships with our customers. And I think that they appreciate that they, when they, when they get in touch with us that they're talking to the guy that owns the business and is going to make their gear, um, you know, and all that. And so, um, being able to just provide people with gear that it's going to stick with them for the long haul. And in a way, I think kind of re, you know, we talk about like adventure and journey and all that stuff and kind of even sort of redefining that, you know, like in fly fishing, you know, we go to these fly fishing film festivals and we Mm -hmm. look at all these Instagram posts and it's guys that are going to the Seychelles or, you know, taking these Epic trips across the world, doing all this stuff. And for the average guy, you know, the average Joe half the time doesn't even have time to go on a backpacking trip up, you know, up to his local, you know, Alpine Lake or whatever, you know, sometimes we're just lucky to get out on the weekends. So just redefining what that is for people and saying like, if we're making adventure gear, let's redefine what adventure is. Cause for some people adventure is taking their kid out and teaching them how to cast a fly rod, you know, and getting, getting in the first trout. Some people, it is doing multi-day excursions into the backcountry to go hit up, you know, a bunch of random Alpine lakes that full of you know, cutthroat that you know, haven't seen a fly in, you know, in a year or something, you mm-hmm. know, so it's just, it's across the spectrum. And so really for us, like, I think we're interested in expanding in both fly fishing and continue to develop products and fly fishing, and then expanding outside of that and just going like, okay, what does journey gear and adventure gear look f- like for different people and not, not presenting it as this thing that's like untouchable that you have to be some guy that's going, you know, that's booking yearly, you know, excursions to British Columbia to go steelheading. And, you know, yeah. what, what does adventure look like for you in your backyard and in your normal life? And so that's kind of really the gear that we, you know, we want to focus on is just, you know, what does that look like for
1: everybody? And how do we, how do we meet people where they are with that? Yeah. The day in and day out. That's, that's cool. Yeah. Um so just a couple more and we'll let you get out of here, Chris. Uh, Um, you know, I'm curious. So it's really interesting. You know, we have a lot of people listen to have companies that are you know doing things on the side and things like that. What was it like for you when you finally, you know, how'd you know the time was right to jump in all in on this thing?
0: I think really, I think when COVID hit and the world turned upside down, we just kind of went, Hey, you know what? Let's just give it a go. Honestly, I thought our business, I thought, I kind of thought we would see business really go downhill once COVID hit when people, you know, we're kind of wrestling with jobs and employment stuff and all that. And I think really, it's, you know, with a combination of like the industry growing, like it is just in general. And then I think, um, you know, like with COVID happening, I, the byproduct of that was, it forced a lot of people outside also. Yeah. And then, you know, with the government handing out stimmy checks, like crazy people had money burning holes in their pockets. Yeah. And so <laughs> yeah. for us really, you know, like we, like we just saw crazy, crazy amounts of growth over the last couple of years. and, so we just kinda of looked at it and went, okay, let's let's just go full bore into this and and uh, and make it happen, you know? And so I, I'm I'm really fortunate too that my wife does have a much more full time secure uh, income in that. She works for a health system and all that. And so we're not fully reliant on my on my income as we continue to grow our business and everything else. But that just kind of seemed like the right time for us to just go, hey, let's make a run at this and just and make it happen. And so we've spent a lot of time over the last couple of years just really pouring everything we can and you know, effort wise and and all that stuff and uh, really kind of starting to grow and make something uh, a little bit more solid out of what we've had going for the last six years or so.
1: That's it. And, and how did that feel when you were, you kind of like fully in on it?
0: Uh it's a great feeling. You know, I mean, it's, it's been something that's been a part of my life, like I said, for the last six years and to be able to just now fully dedicate all my time to it is really cool. Uh, there's, there's ups and downs to it. You know, like the ups are that I'm, I'm able to put a lot more product and get to meet a lot more customers and build relationships with a lot of people. The downside is that, I don't fish nearly as often as I want to, because I'm constantly, you know, constantly yeah. in the shop, just making stuff and, right. and all that, you know, I get, you know, and I'm sure this is the case for just about anybody that owns a fly fishing business. It's like, Oh man, you, you, know, you must get to fish all the time. I was like, oh, are you kidding? Like I, I never get to fish anymore. I'm constantly busy, you know? So, you know, so there's downsides to it too. And just, you know, working through the kinks of, you know, reworking your schedule and going, you know, how do I, how do I carve out time to make fly fishing a regular, part of my day now, since I do own a fly fishing business, I should probably be out on the water
1: fishing regularly and all that, you know, Yeah, time block it. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You know, just kind of learning new rhythms with stuff like that and, and everything. But generally speaking, it's, it's been great and amazing. And, uh, we, we love the people that we get to meet and we have friends all over the world that have bought our products that we have amazing relationships with. And it's really cool. We joke all the time that we could go just about anywhere in the world at this point and call somebody up that we know. Uh, that's purchased our product and uses it on a regular basis, and we could just go fishing with them, and that's that's a pretty cool thing to think about. That we get to know these people that I can, that I still to this day, I love calling customers that have had our bags for two or three or four years, and just checking in on them, and saying, "Hey, man, how's it going? How's the bag doing?" You know, all that stuff, and that's, I mean, you know, again, like I kind of, I said before, I kind of see this as being in the people business more than anything else, and that's that's true. We just love our customers, and we take we take that responsibility really seriously that, you know, cause our gear is not cheap, you know, and the irony is that I probably couldn't even afford my own gear in some ways. And so if somebody wants to spend, if somebody's willing to spend that kind of money with us, I take that really seriously. And that's a big responsibility. And, and I want to make sure that the people that are buying our products are going to be 100% satisfied with that all the way. So, you know, it's, it, it always comes back with, you know, in our case to to people and making sure that we're, we're making a product that people are happy with and that we're equipping them to go and do uh, what it is that they want to do with it. So,
1: yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, I think it's a tribute to you. I think this, uh, this episode began Tyler, one of our listeners kind of reached down and he, you know, noted you guys. And so that's one of those things I always try uh, yeah. to do as well. Yeah. is when we, we get listeners that, you know, come out and reach out to us and say, Hey, do, you know, do this episode. I can't, you know, get them all in, but I try to when I can. So that oh, just yeah. shows, you know, people are loving your stuff and wanting to get the word out there.
0: Yeah. Tyler's a good guy. I like, I like Tyler a lot. He's a cool kid. Kid. He's not a kid. He's an adult. I've met him. He's a, he's a cool guy. <laughs> I don't want to say said kid.
1: That's right. I know they're all, they're all kids. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So all right, Chris. Well, I think we're good here. I think, uh, we, we dug into a little bit and we understand, at least I do now. I think this is a, a product for sure. I could definitely see myself wearing on the stream, you know, and, uh, yeah. and definitely see the benefits and things like that. But, um, yeah, anything else before we get out here, you want to give a shout out to what you have coming or anything new, you know, in the next, uh, like I said, next six months to a year.
0: Uh, no, not really, man. You know, just, uh, if you, if, Yeah, if listeners get a chance, just check us out, see what we're about and all that stuff. You can, uh, any customers know if they go to our website, they can always get in touch with us through our website, emailing me or the chat function on our website. When you get in touch with us, you're talking to me, you're not talking to to anybody else. And so I love meeting people and getting to know and finding out what, you know, what somebody's needs are. So if if anybody's interested in our stuff, you know, give us a call. And if you're not, then I'll point you. If our stuff's not for you, I'll point you in the direction of somebody that will work better for you as well. So.
1: Gotcha. Are you ever going to get to a point where, when you think about scaling this thing, you you are actually trying to, you know, maybe? Uh, I mean, how does that look? You know, when you think about scaling, is that something you're interested in doing?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, and we're we're kind of brushing up against that right now a little bit, and kind of learning some of the limitations of one person doing everything. And we we certainly want to scale. And I think for us, especially because quality is such a high a high priority for me, being able to keep everything in house as much as possible is, is huge. And so for us, it would it would look like hiring other folks that can work in a shop here with us um that we can you know be a part of like just watching you know the quality happen and being able to be as hands on as possible. I love still myself, even as busy as we get, I love making the products myself and have my hands on it. And so, you know, I, I'd love to add, you know, over time when it makes sense to, you know, add add a couple of other folks that can help with the manufacturing side of it and all that. But I I mean we're a family business and I'm not interested in being some sort of massive Company and that's not to disparage any large companies. There are phenomenal fly fishing brands out there that I have a huge amount of respect for that are doing amazing things. But mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm just a dude that found fly fishing, or maybe fly fishing found me, and somehow I ended up in that making fly fishing gear. And so you know, I, I love having this business that you know somehow speaks to people and. I want to keep it that way. I want to keep it personal as much as we can and and all that. And maybe that's terrible for business. I don't know. I'm not a business guy. Right, right, right. Probably somebody with a much more successful business than me is listening going, Oh, (laughs) that guy's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally. You know?
1: Yeah. Well, and on your products, are you, I mean, that is a good point. I mean, keeping it, you got to know, right. Do you, do you want to have like, 20 people working for you and then you have the issue of dealing with a bunch of people, right? Or do you keep it small and in-house and it's just you and a a person or two and you know what I mean? And you have some limitation. Like how many bags do you need to build, right? That's the whole question. And there's a question for you right there. So your bag, like you get one of these bags in your typical side bag. How long does Mm -hmm. that thing take you from start to finish to to build?
0: Honestly, it kind of depends on whether you're doing one or you're doing a bunch. And We work mainly in small batches and stuff like that. So I can do a batch of, you know, if I was well, let's say a, a typical batch of bags for me would be probably five or six bags at a time. It takes me a couple of days to do five or six from the process from beginning to end. Whereas like, it takes me kind of about the same time to do one bag, you know? So like once you get into like batch producing and stuff like that, things go much faster and you've got to process down and and all that. And so, you know, like that's, that's about as quick as we can go right now with some of that stuff. And that's kind of one of the reasons that we also stayed away for the most part from wholes- wholesale orders and things. It just doesn't make sense for us. For the most part, for, you know, the the time factor and all that stuff, there's, you know, you're not getting paid for your time quite as well on that for us. And so, you know, so occasionally we'll do some wholesale orders from people. But for the most part, uh, we like the direct relationship with our customers and and all that stuff. And it makes more financial sense for us as a business right now where we're at to keep it where we are. So,
1: yeah, keep it where it is. Nice, Chris. All right. Well, hey, thanks for the time today. This has been good to get some light on uh, what you have going there. And yeah, we'll definitely send some people your way who want uh, you know something like we talked about today. And and yeah, we'll look forward to keeping in touch with you. Awesome, Dave. I appreciate it, man. So there you go. If you want to find every show note, every link, and everything else we covered here today, wetflyswing.com/slash three hundred and one three zero one. That's right. We have passed the uh, 300 mark season seven we have begun and we are going to keep this train a uh, rolling rolling along we've got some new trivia some new trivia we've got all sorts of stuff going here we got a new trivia segment coming up here so you're gonna want to check that out we're gonna have a link at wetflyswing.com slash trivia where you're gonna be able to connect and uh, and have a good time there and win some swag some swag. That's we've been we've been told we need to give out some swag. So this is one way we're going to be doing it here. I am heading out of here right now, and I'm looking ahead. I think next week's episode is going to be, um, I think it's Click and Paul reels. So very cool episode. Very cool. We shed some light on a reel that I definitely probably will be picking up. So uh, here we go. We're getting out of here. Thank you again for everything, and thank you for sharing this episode with one other person. If you get a chance this week, hope to see you on the river. Hope to see you maybe on the water or maybe online. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.